Welcome to the Industry Insider, brought to you by Promo Corner. Each week, promotional product professionals Meg Erber, Jeff Franklin, and Stephen McFadden, along with special guests, will discuss industry news, trends, and events with a focus on educating the promotional products industry. The Industry Insider, the nerdy news you need to know. Welcome back to yet another exciting episode of the Industry Insider, your promotional products podcast, where you can get all the nerdy news you need to know about. My name is Jeff Franklin, National Accounts Manager with Headwear USA, and I am joined today by three other lovely folks. But of course, before we get to them, we've got to tell you about our fine sponsor for today. Greater Pacific is your full-service creative agency. Their experience comes from experience with thousands of custom projects completed for clients for over two decades with expertise in promotional products in the Advertising Specialties Institute, custom OEM, product design, project management, CPSIA compliance, product testing, and full-service logistics. They've done it all and become more effective with every opportunity. Greater Pacific creates the ultimate manufacturing experience for their clients, so go visit greaterpacific.com today. Tell them the Industry Insider sent you. Why don't we say hey to Meg Erber since the audio is sounding crisp right now. Oh, no. <laughs> As the earbud falls out. <laughs> so I have some big news, some exciting news that I'm finally allowed to share. And you guys don't even know this. Um, my daughter joined the Navy. <laughs> nice. Yeah, she leaves at the end of May. So she just joined. She goes to MEPS um, and science and swears in um, at the end of May and leaves. So I'm very proud of her. And she, I'm just really excited for her. So, yeah. So congratulations, Courtney. And yeah, that's it. I'm just really excited about it and very proud of her. That's cool. Following in mama's footsteps. Yeah. Yeah. Steve McFadden, how are you doing today on this lovely Thursday since this is a pre-recorded episode? <laughs> I'm so glad you told me the day. Um, I feel like every time we talk, I'm like, you're doing what on a Tuesday? You're like, Steven, it's Thursday. You're you're two days off. So uh, well, this has yeah. felt a little bit like a, a different kind of week. I mean, it is kind of we're it coming into spring break. Weird. It's Easter. It's it, it, every day has not felt like the day it's supposed to be. No, so it hasn't. Been. And you know, we've you know the kids are like you said, the kids are off, and so we've had some little spots where we've played hooky to go do some fun things with them. And so I'm like, every day's a weekend. And since yesterday I worked full, that means. Today must be the second day of the week, which would be Tuesday. Um, do, so. your, do your kids refer to it that way, too? Because my kids got there like last night when I got out of school, they were like, tomorrow's a weekend. I'm like, for you, it is. <laughs> it felt like a weekend, yeah. though. Even though I yeah. was still working, it felt like a weekend. You really want to confuse your kids. Show them a show them a calendar and show them that really uh, weekends are one week beginning and one week end and, mm -hmm. uh, and see where that goes. That's That's a fun conversation to have. <laughs> Well, I mean, we could always have a fun question with our, our special guest for today, Michael Barblett. Michael, how oh, are yeah. you doing, first of all, CEO with Headwear USA? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm good. Um, we had a container come in this morning, so I got a workout in. Um, I'm packing, unpacking that. So, um, yeah, no, otherwise I'm enjoying myself. You know, happy to be here. Thank you. You don't sound like you're from here, Michael. No, um, oh, look, I, you're from London. I, I've chased uh, the promotional products from Australia um, all the way over here, you know, you guys. You you kept telling me, Jeff, because I've been working with Headwear for quite some time um, through our Australian office, our head office there. Um, you kept saying that this is where all the action happens, so I thought I'd better come check it out for myself. Yeah, <laughs> and and have you have you found this is where all the action is? Look, I think there's definitely a bit of action going on here. There's there's a lot of fun to be had. There's you know a lot of big sales, a lot of you know all all the fun things that we do within our industry are definitely coming out of here first. Um, so it's good it's good to see, and it's 
um, it's good to be a part of it. Sweet. So uh, since Stephen uh, has had that question about the uh, the calendar and, you know, Saturday ending the week and Sunday beginning the week, does Australia do your calendars the same way or do you guys do that funky calendar where it starts with Monday? Look, I think um, I think it's all down to the person, isn't it? You know, if you really want it, your, your week could start on on uh, on Sunday because you're a little bit you've had a few too many or it could, you know, end on Friday because you've had a big week at, at work and you don't really mm. want to do anything. It depends on the individual. Right. I think the more important question is what goes first, the month or the date? Oh, definitely the date. There's the days make up a month, which make up a year. You guys do it wrong. There's there's no questions about that one. Stephen, basically anything that America does, it's backwards to the rest of the world. So yeah, you know, I will say that uh, that is an inch. I I raised myself a good point. So I actually missed an event date because of this. <laughs> We had someone that had something um, that they had put in their email that they needed by like uh, four or five or whatever the year was. And so, um, what was it? No, it was the other way around. Five, four. Yeah, and five, we, four. you know, so I was like, okay, cool. We got like a whole extra month. They're like, we needed it in April. I was like, not according to your email. <laughs> so, uh... um, so that was something that I had to relearn um, early in the industry. So. Mm. I, I feel like globally we should just adopt like the day and then the three letter abbreviation for the month you I'm know okay just, just a very know. american thought to go oh let's get what everyone else does make it slightly different because we don't do it this way yeah you know, so, it's... well you said all the fun things are happening here so i think we the fun people should decide what all right let's do it all in favor all in favor for switching it to three what a day is it six april 2023 yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Michael, it is customary for us to give our special guests a good three to four minutes to introduce yourself, maybe tell you how you got started in the promotional products industry and what you've been up to since. So why don't we let you uh, take it away and introduce yourself and tell us your story a little bit? Yeah. So um, look, I, I actually grew up around headwear. So um, my old man, Peter, um, actually is one of the directors worldwide or he is the, the worldwide director. Um, and so he sort of started the whole thing from, from the ground up. Um, and when I was younger, I sort of never really wanted to be a part of it, if I'm being honest. I always told myself, you know, I'm going to go off and do my own thing. Um, but while I was at university, I used to work bars and whatnot. And um, I actually started off working a little bit for him just to help him out with, with a staffing issue. Um, and as COVID hit, obviously all the bars shut down. Um, I lost all the main work that I was getting and sort of he helped me out, giving me a few more hours. And um, from there, I sort of fell in love with it. You know, the whole idea of, you know, making it you know talking to someone creating an order and then physically getting it in your hands um there's you know there's no feeling like it and it's very hard to explain to people who aren't in the industry like us um but it definitely is something that you know when you walk around with it you know for us it's a it's a hat you and i jeff you know on your head and you're like i made this this was my idea from go to woe someone said i need this color and i need this logo and i've made this thing um it, it's it's quite a good feeling so um sort of chase that a little bit and then as I finished up at university, um, there was an opening here and I sort of um, stuck my hand up. Um, I've come out here. Um, I'm working with sort of Nick, um, who's the, the president um, and one of the principals of the business over here. Um, and we're just, you know, we're trying to kick goals. Um, we're just trying to, you know, get more out the door, um, help more people and sort of sell more caps at the end of the day. That's that's the modus operandi and sort of what we're aiming for. And we're doing it. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Is it a prerequisite to have a luscious beard to work at Headwear USA? 
pretty much. Um, no, I'd, I'd like to think that Jeff's copying me, but looking at the, the difference in size, it sort of seems the other way around. Um, but I will say that I've been growing this one longer than him, so definitely he's copying me. Mm. <laughs> I don't know I that that's true. I will say I did. I did. So I've, I've grown the beard out before, as you guys all know. Um, but I did start growing it out again when I saw that mustache. And then I, I was disappointed when I came into the office the other day and I saw you chopped it all off, Michael. I mean, Michael had a handlebar mustache out to hear you guys. Like it was, uh, you know. Look, it was funny until the wax came out of it 15 minutes after you put it in. And then it's just going <laughs> everywhere. And there's something about, you know, eating a burger that you don't really want to be chewing on your own mustache. So um, for later, you know, that, that, and every time I saw my mother, she was just like, shave it, shave it. So it was, it was a bit, it was a little bit forced, a little bit of an easy option. And yeah, off it went. Fair enough. Well, listen, we are here to talk today about forecasting, uh, and basically stock take and how a supplier in our industry would basically go about forecasting for bringing stock in, whether it's a new, uh, item, uh, or just, you know, some of the more popular styles, you know, how do you go about it when there's things like, like the pandemic that come through, like anything that you can throw into it and provide as uh, some nerdy news for us, Michael, we'd love to hear it. But um, why don't we like Meg or Steven, do you guys have any directed questions first before we get into it? I, I do. Uh, oh, go ahead, Meg. No, I mean, I was just going to talk about how what we've seen is uh, year over year since COVID supply chain issues, logistics issues. Um, labor shortages, but I, when it comes down to it, if there's something there to sell, we'll sell it. Then I think everyone over so, overbought, and in early 2023, there was an excess of inventory everywhere. Um, but I didn't really see necessarily the promotions for sales and discounts going. So I don't. I'm I'm just kind of overall, but I'm just kind of. Yeah, well, I guess the the first place to start might be you know the reason why this is such a hot topic is kind of looking at the timeline of the last three years with with inventory you know we went from a um a record pace and set in 19 so i know orders and inventory that needed to be there for 20 were probably purchased in 19 to get ready for 20 expecting a lot of growth and then 20 everything shuts down so there's all this inventory right i think that was where a lot of companies found themselves and then everybody slowed their role in 21 knowing they still probably had some stuff from 20 still coming in and then it, business came back in you know late 21 early 22 in a lot in a lot of markets so it was like we were always it seemed like the industry was was trying to catch up but because of the delays in the timeline of inventory purchasing it seems like a very complicated thing to do when, when you don't know the future so maybe you can speak on how do you you know how do you guys how do you go to market how do you try to do that you know is there a order this at a minimum here, you know, reorder this here. So maybe walk us through that process. So like to put it simply, it's educated guessing, right? And anyone who tells you anything else is sort of trying to sell you, you know, uh, magical beans almost. So you're looking first, first things first, you have to look at every single item as an individual item. You know, um, quite often people will talk about, you know, this is a major seller for us. And I'm going to throw some numbers out there. And Jeff might be the only one who understands me. Um, but something like a 4199 black, worldwide for us, that sells. Hand over fist, it's our most popular item. Now, the thing is, a lot of people will then talk about 4199 is the most popular item, which brushed heavy cotton cap, it's very, very, you know, it's a sturdy cap, it's a staple, right? But something like the, the really bright orange isn't going to sell anywhere near as much as a 4199 black, right? And then there's going to be 
items that aren't as popular, they're going to sell more than a than a 4199 orange. So you have to look at every single item as an individual unit, right? You can't you can't extrapolate because of this, then this. So the first and foremost thing is you have to look at every single SKU that you've got and break it down and look at that number. Um, for us, we run a year-on-year -year system. So we look at our sales currently for this year, um, so the year-to-date sales, and then we look at last year's sales. Um, and from there, we sort of have a look at what's going on. You know, have we sold, you know, like we just, I just did our stock order or just approved it um, a couple of days ago for, um, for this month. And we're looking at the first three months worth of sales, right? So you, you look at, you know, if a time supply four, how's that in reference to this year, uh, to last year's sales, sorry. But then you've also, you don't want to be holding 100% of sort of a year's worth of sales. But then if you've only sold 100 pieces and last year you sold 1,000 pieces, you don't have to be basing your number off 1,000, right? But you also don't want to be basing your number off a sale of 400 because you know something's different there. And then you have to look at it. So there's a lot of, you know, looking at individual numbers, looking at individual SKUs, and then there is a little bit of gut feeling. You know, for me, I look at something and I go our 4181 and I go, well, that's a that's a Richardson 118. So I know that that's going to keep selling as they have problems with stock, right? So that I want to go a little bit heavier. I, I'm leaning towards that growing as an item year on year. Um, but then, you know, you take something like, we've got a lot of caps in our warehouse with flames on them because, you know, 10 years ago, they sold absolutely berserk. And then one morning, everyone woke up and went, this is just a silly thing put on my head. Um, and so NASCAR. we've got the stock there. So you can get burned when you're looking at year on year. And that's that's part of what's happening. But you have no. to be smart. Enough. No, no, no. Hold on. I, I'm going to put this out right now. Nadav, if you're no. listening, <laughs> Nadav, if you're listening, we've got a ton of flame caps that are probably, they've got a little asterisk beside them, right, Michael, or no? Uh, not anymore. We removed that. Uh, oh, all right. But well, same thing. I was going to say, yeah. I know somebody that'll buy them. <laughs> oh, give them my number. We, we could talk afterwards. I'll give you my personal cell. You can, they can call me anytime. <laughs> they can have them. <laughs> I don't, is NASCAR still doing that kind of stuff? Are they I still mean, like crazy? Who with else the, would uh... be doing it? <laughs> Nobody. Fire departments. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, Michael, I, I think it's really interesting, too, because you did come from, uh, you know, headquarters in Australia. So, I mean, you've got uh, the experience from how we handle things on an international level as well, I would I would think. So, um, and, you know, obviously Australia, they, they sell a lot more stock than what we do here in the States, right? So they're probably bringing in containers like every week or every other week. Yeah, in the middle of summer, you're probably looking at one a week at a bare minimum, if not a 40-footer every week rather than a 20-footer when it comes to stock. Mm -hmm. um, I think, like, one of the big things that I probably didn't touch on as well is because of that international sphere that we're in, we've got branches all across the globe. We have the ability to look at what's happening elsewhere. Mm -hmm. um, so take, for instance, bucket hats. Um, they've, they've been selling reasonably well in Australia for a very long time because they're a safety item. You know, they cover the whole of your head rather than just the front. But then they became a bit more popular and fashionable. Um, and from that, you know, we're doing a container of black, large, extra large bucket hats um, every month for Western Australia, which only has a population of like 2 million people, right? So we're just pumping these things out. And because of that, we've been able to see before the trend and before it's too late in the trend um, that we want to be, you know, going ahead with that. So, you know, we've got the, the way that we do our stock orders, Peter, who um, is the director, he's looking at every single one 
and sort of seeing if he's seeing anything that we've missed. So it's double-checked, obviously. And he's been able to go, okay, I can see you're starting to sell the bucket hats and give them what I know elsewhere. Um, so it happened first in Australia, then it happened in the UK, then into Europe, um, and now we're seeing it here, which is how we've been able to, you know, add huge numbers of bucket hats here. And, you know, we've been sitting on them for two, three months because it's been winter. But just now they're starting to sell as we go into summer. And I expect that to go up and up and up because they're almost a fashion item now, which I personally still don't understand. I but know, I know. You've got that movement between the international group um, mm -hmm. where they can all sort of advise and, and you're getting to see this greater picture rather than what you're selling. Because if you don't have something, you can't sell it. So you can't then know that you should be getting it in. So yeah, when we when we go to market, you know what um, we used to, we used to have a lot of West Coast and East Coast clients, and so as far as things that are are trending, typically we can look out west or even up in like New York area uh, for you know fashion trends, right? You know we'll see those kind of move their way across the country and down. I'm assuming you can do something very similar, um, you know, seeing that you have such an international presence to kind of predict i'm sure there's misses though right um some yeah. things just don't correlate in different countries and different places and different climates um is there is, have you found kind of a the way to forecast using like you said uh future sales and trends to kind of pre-purchase do you kind of try to get ahead of it in that way or do you kind of wait for the demand to then you know bring in inventory look i think answer that question is yes and no so we definitely you know just because you see it in one place doesn't mean it's going to happen elsewhere right like take for instance america you guys buy a huge amount of camo you love it and completely understandable um but then you go to other places we're not going to sell anywhere near as much so if we see an uptake in camo here we're probably not going to go to europe and, and start buying up more over there um for their levels of stock but then you do have certain styles and you start to look at you know and the biggest one that I think a lot of people miss is you've got to talk to your clients. So when an item starts selling a lot, just jump on the phone and go, hey, hey, you know, what are you, buy what are you buying these for? You know, what's, what's sort of the purpose? And if they just say, oh, I've got this really weird group in the corner that wanted these ones this one time, then you keep that in the back of your mind that it's probably not, you know, that massive hit isn't going to be a big trend. But if they say, you know, oh, this is the third, you know, college group that I've talked to that absolutely adores this flat peak style then you're going to start to think, okay, this might be becoming a bit more of a, a fashion forward, you know, really retail sort of style that I might want to have here for the promotional game. Um, and then from there, you talk to the other members in the group, they might be saying the same thing. We can all sort of bounce off each other and then go, okay, you know, maybe new colours, maybe increase the holding of it, you know, things like that. What so, about program business, Michael? Like if somebody wants to, you know, bring in a particular item uh, or use a particular item for a program, but maybe it's more of a fringe style. It's not something that we stock a lot of. Is that something that, you know, a supplier would maybe take into consideration as far as like what they expect to sell or forecast to sell over the course of the next six months to a year? Look, the, the problem, like, as you know, like Jeff, because we've had this conversation quite a few times, I would more prefer program business to be done through something like our fast track service offshore, that fully custom, you know, we can get it to you in four to five weeks, you know, and there's small minimums of 144. So, you know, but I understand there's certain people who want to do programs of 10 or 15 pieces. The problem with, you know, using a program to forecast for styles, you know, it takes, it takes four months to get something to us from production to our warehouse. And, 
with that in mind, if we buy it now, they might have finished that program or that program might be dead by the time we get the stock in. So it's it's sort of a case-by-case situation. You've got to know, you know, the rep that's, that's saying, hey, I have this program. You've got to know the opportunity. Um, but at the same time, there's always other options, you know. If, if it's a really fringe style, you, you're sort of looking at what it is and, and what is an alternative almost or, you know, is there an option of going offshore and doing it fully custom instead of just bringing in 144 pieces and hoping that they'll buy them all given that no one else is planning to. I have two questions for you. So first one, when you're forecasting, um, I'm, I'm assuming, I think I heard this somewhere in those, that you, you're looking at trends and what's coming from like West Coast, West to the East, well, from Australia on over. Um, are you seeing any of these trends ever that are kind of pushed through or, or through retail or through politics? Or is there something that's really pushing the trends that you guys are seeing and using to forecast inventory here for the US promotional product industry? I'm sure there is something, but where I'm not seeing it personally, right? okay. we, we specialize in the promotional products, right? So to, to try and do retail grade, you know, caps, while our caps are really good quality, they're, they're never going to be a Tommy Hill figure, right? Mm-hmm. They're never going to be something like that. And when you look at retail, a lot of it is branded, right? So it's less about the style and what the hat is and more about, what the hat has on it. The brand, um, so I'm sure there is a way of doing it, but it, it's not something that we do. Right. Well, and I know Michael, I think okay. the bucket hats in particular that you mentioned, I mean, obviously that's a, a, a retail forwarder, as you said, has become more of a fashion item. So, I mean, I think there is some of that that happens for sure. Like, but, but we, we would follow the trend of retail. We don't, we're not trying to set that trend. Right. Yeah. That's what I meant. Follow it. Yeah. And I was, what was I going to say? You had a two-parter. Mm-hmm. I know there was a second part to that, but I'll just, I'll, it'll come back to me. The other one's a completely different question. So let's talk about when you when you you're finally like, okay, this promotional product, this hat has has seen its day. It's time to discontinue it. What factors go into you saying, all right, it's time? Is it a lack of sales over three months? Is it slowly declining sales, or maybe you couldn't source the um, the let's say the ingredients, the pieces that go into the hat? What what is it? What are some of the deciding factors that go into discontinuing an item? So pretty much everything you mentioned probably does go into it. Um, We'd look at declining sales over years, not months. Um, So, you know, because you look at something like a beanie, it's probably not going to sell that much during summer. So if you look at months, you're going to then start discontinuing and and starting up new items left, right and centre. But we look at sort of has it been a couple of years since we've actually had to buy it? We look at if we were to discontinue it, do we have an alternative Right, so something that is incredibly specific, um, take for instance a fitted cap for us, um, where we're more hesitant to discontinue. But something that's just a brush cotton, you know, with a different closure on the back, or you know, it might have a different type of trimming. Well, we've got quite a few options that are very similar. You know, is it a mm. particular colorway that isn't offered anywhere else? You know, so you're looking at whether or not there's an alternative, whether or not you're actually selling it. Because if you're not selling it, then you don't really have to discontinue it until you're out of stock. Um, Cause if you're only selling 20 pieces every year and you've got 400 pieces, well then you've got, you know, quite a few years left there of stock. Yeah. Um, but if the, like the other one that you mentioned was what happens if, you know, the materials stop being materials, available, yeah. um, then you don't really have an option, right? It's like for us, we deal with one factory. So either they can get us the material and if they can't, we'll, we'll send them to market to see if they can. And, but there are, 
you know, I think since I've been involved over the last five or six years, we've discontinued one style due to fabric no longer being available. But mm. we have an alternative that is, you know, basically the same thing. Um, yeah. I have so, to agree yeah. with you on that. Okay. I know. Because, like, the A130 for us, I'm an SNS active boy, the A130 has been a staple in our line for the last 12 years. And, you know, we mm. almost go by the what's what's not broke, don't fix. But when when something, when a piece of apparel has been in the industry for 12 years without any updates or changes, I mean, do you still wear that polo that you bought in 2011? I mean, so I think what we're doing is we're same fabrication, just kind of making it more modern and giving it a new item number. So I think when you when you are looking at trends, is that same style still fashionable? Yes, it's still filling the bucket, it's still filling the program. But I mean, at the end of the day, is the end user really happy with that unmodernized piece? So I think there's a lot of things to look at. And I remember what I was um, was going to say when we were talking about trends. You said something about that Richardson 118, um, but that goes for the 112. That 112 is one of the most popular hats in the industry. If you know that they're having inventory issues with that, what a, what a great idea to have a, a comp to that, you know, and that, that, that whole style has been really popular. So I think that's why I was just adding on to, to what you were saying on that. But um, go ahead, Stephen. Yeah, um, you know, I'm trying to think about like something that maybe people don't, think about or don't know about in regards to forecasting and purchasing inventory. And I have to wonder, I feel like the biggest challenge with all this is, is risk management. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's like almost like a bell curve of um, if we have, you know, maybe we'll enter a market where we can sell everything we have, you know, if we have it, we can sell it. But then there's also that, how do we, how do we manage how much stuff we get in? Right. You know, how, how crazy do we go to try to capture more of the market share that we we didn't have. And I guess with that comes the assumption of, of risk, right? Of being left holding inventory, you know, or having waste or having to discontinue. And I wonder how that affects pricing too. Um, so I don't know, is there any anything you can share in regards to that? Is it, you know, is it based on everything you purchase is kind of lumped into pricing or is it each style? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know any of that world, so. So for like, there, there's a couple of things that you touched on there. Um, the, the first one being, you know, how much do you buy? Well, for us, we look at the numbers of how much we sell. Um, even if it is a, a truly popular style, we're not going to go and sort of double or triple um, the stock holdings of what we sold last year, for instance, because it is too much of a risk. You, you know, for us, we have to, we have to spend the money before we can get the goods. Right. It's not like we can hold them on consignment and, you know, tell the guy that that sells them to us like, oh, it's good. You know, trust me, I'll pay you when when someone comes and purchases it off me. We've got to outlay that cash. Um, so that's you know, it is a big risk there for us. We're able to sort of circumvent that risk of then not having the stock with, you know, some of the other um, options that Overseas, we have either yeah. be alternative or ways that you can purchase, you know, the same item. You know, I, I mentioned it before, and I don't want to keep harping on about it, but that fast track offering that we have is is our savior. You know, the fact that you can get exactly the same cap at, you know, we're talking maybe ten cents difference, if that, when it comes to air freighting it in in three weeks, mm. that saves us, and it means that we don't have to go and purchase heavy amounts to be able to fill those orders should someone rock up and go, I want an And I suppose that you guys could use your own programs to get more inventory then if you absolutely needed to domestically, right? We could, but we we don't. Um, I, I don't have a single example of when we have. 
Um, okay. For us, we I mean, air, air freight's so expensive. You know what I mean. So you wouldn't you wouldn't mm -hmm. want to air freight stock in because then you'd lose money on the stock price. Yeah, you know what I mean. Gotcha. It's so like air freight's expensive, but offshore you get a much better price on decoration. So that's where you're getting your savings overall. So maybe since you know, obviously it is a little different. Um, it's going to be different supplier from supplier, and depending on how many SKUs you have. And I'm I'm just trying to think, you know, how do how do these suppliers that have you know a thousand SKUs of, and they're all different, you know, right? It could be you know writing instruments and drinkware and bags and some uh, spatterings of apparel, and then they launch fifty new products. It's like, well, those are all new, all risk, right? It seems it seems to be all risk. Um, there's got to be ways of of collecting that market data or seeing what's going on in different countries if it's new it may not may be new for us but may not be new to the world right so um or maybe they just think it's good right and there's that like you said that gut feeling of i think this can sell and i think our sales team could sell this right um so yeah that's that's interesting it's curious to think about I think yeah i think the other thing that's also worth mentioning with that with what you mentioned there as far as um you know they're just purchasing, you know, let's say they bring on 10 new styles, five different colorways, that's 50 new SKUs. Oh, yeah. They're not going to just do that overnight. They're, they, you know, we're looking at what our competitors do. We're looking at what our, our the partners within the group internationally are doing. And then, you know, pretty much everyone that stocks something also has some form of custom um, production. So you're looking at what people are asking you for because at the end of the day, as I'm sure you guys all know, someone asks for something that you don't have, you go out and see if you can make it. If you get enough people asking for that, then you're probably going to start thinking about bringing it into stock. Um, so with that, you you won't do a massive order. You're not going to bring in 10,000 pieces of something, but you might go out there and purchase just a small amount, you know, 500, 1,000 pieces to see if it is worth stocking. Yeah, and like the tier, the couple tier one colors too. You don't want to go crazy and do 15 colorways on a brand new item. And that leads me to a real point, a quick point. Jeff, I'll let you um, talk in a second. We have this one item. It's like this. Maybe. Uh, maybe. It's like this uh, kid, kid infant onesie. It only goes up to a size 2T. I want it so bad. It's like fleece. It's like long sleeve buttons. Every single person I've showed it to, they're like, how do we get this an adult? And I'm like, you know, we have enough people asking for it. Someone should just make it. That's all I got to say. Onesie, yeah. adult, warm, I'm in all year. <laughs> so, Michael, I think that was a really good segue, actually, uh, talking about new styles. Because I know before in this podcast, we were sort of talking about, you know, sort of pre-pandemic, everybody's biggest complaint about, like, especially the Vegas show in January was, you know, people talking new styles, but then they don't have inventory until freaking May, you know, or whatever mm -hmm. it is. So when you're bringing in a new style, since you don't have that, you know, that data uh, from the past year sales and things like that, how do you go about, uh, you know, deciding uh, what you're going to bring in. I know you already mentioned that it's an educated guest most of the time and anything outside of that, you know, you're just trying to sell magic beans, but um, with a new style, like, are you seeing because of, you know, offshore orders for a particular demand or something like that? Like, yeah, without a doubt, like I'm, I'm just going to throw with, we've got a style that I think is on our next container that we're about to have land in, in a month, um, which is our twin stripe trucker. Um, and we had to pick a bunch of colorways for it. Right now, we didn't just go and decide to make a slightly deeper cap and then put two stripes on the side. We had a lot of people in Australia asking for it, which is where this is all started. Um, from there, we were doing a huge amount of indent orders. So our fully custom, either fast track or on a boat. Um, from there, 
we made a little brochure and then people kept ringing up asking for for the fully custom offering as something in stock so from there we've we've brought it over um and and we've looked at what was the main colorways what are you know you're always going to have something based on black you're always going to have something based on white throw in a navy you know here in the us it's going to be stone and charcoal as well um you know there, there's all those staples and that's where you're going to base them but you're going to look at what people are asking for you know you're not gonna you know at the end of the day we want to think we know everything that's going on in our industry but realistically we react to what we're being asked for so the way to do it is really to listen at what's out there and decide from there what's being asked for the most and what you think is going to move off the shelf Michael, I have one last question for you and we'll start to wrap this up. Um, do you have any advice for our listeners about um, inventory, buying it quickly, buy, like waiting? You know, what is the outlook? Or if you look into your crystal ball, what what kind of advice could you give to our listeners about inventory? It's got to be do it consistently. The, the biggest effect of COVID that no one wants to talk about is everyone stopped purchasing because they thought COVID was going to last two years like the global financial crisis was. Um, we kept purchasing for two reasons. One, we didn't want to be left out when the whole, when the dance started again. Um, two, we wanted to keep our sewers in the factory still working. We didn't want to lose those guys and, you know, never have them come back and be out of work for us again. So the, the main thing for me is let's, let's be consistent and let's make sure that you're not, you don't react, be a little bit ahead of the curve. That's great. That's great. Steven, do you have anything else? No, I, I, everything I have to offer would be just, uh, I'm just curious. So I'd be like, yeah. all right, besides black and white, what's the most popular color? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, Meg, what I, I'm curious from your perspective, what color besides black and white do you sell the most? Gray. Uh, yeah, I would have to say gray. Really? Yeah. Cause gray I was, I was thinking in. navy. I would I I'd say, and then blues are the next, but I have a lot of sweatpants that are not in navy and I'm oh, like, that's true. It's yeah, very maybe, frustrating, but I would say the blues are a tier one color and, and red and gray as well. I feel like we sell everything navy or black right now. So, I mean, obviously. Yeah. Navy's definitely up there, but gray, like a, a couple years ago, sort of almost even trumped black. How much, yeah. really? How much gray was yeah. selling? Yeah, it's a lot. Huh. A lot mm -hmm. of demand for gray. Um, so, all right, cool. Well, Meg, Steven, if you guys don't have any other follow-up questions, I mean, there's definitely a lot of different, uh, different avenues that you could take with this conversation and, you know, Michael, you know, we're truly blessed to have you on the podcast to, to give us that sort of wealth of knowledge from, you know, the international perspective, as well as now in the United States and, and how Headwork goes about doing it. Um, but, you know, there's other other suppliers are going to have, you know, different ways and different ideologies. So, you know, this is all obviously just the way that uh, that, you know, one supplier does it. Uh, and, and Michael, you even alluded earlier, you know, it's a little bit different for us because we do have programs like fast track where we're delivering in two to three weeks. So inventory is not necessarily as big of an issue for us as it might be for a supplier that's, you know, not capable of bringing something like that. And like we had Elliot Goldman in the other week and he was talking about, you know, they would never airbags in cause it's just goes through the roof with pricing. So, uh, you know, it's, every supplier is going to be a little bit different, but I definitely appreciate the knowledge that you shared with us. And that was awesome having you on. Um, yeah. And if you enjoyed the podcast, it was brought to you by our good friends over at Greater Pacific, uh, and they are um, a direct manufacturer of custom OEM products selling to the promotional products industry with 27 years of experience. 
specializing in over 10 product categories. They can source and deliver most uh, any product for you. Greater Pacific is full service sourcing product and managing every aspect of production with staff on the ground in Asia and utilizing their time-tested 20-step project management protocol. No need to worry about quality control, product safety, CPSAA compliance, or the hundreds uh, of detail related, uh, details related to custom manufacturing. Greater Pacific oversees every aspect for you. Their global logistics team and in-house customs brokers uh, ensure timely, seamless delivery. This is how they provide the ultimate manufacturing experience and they have, uh, and they back it by uh, a 30-day claim for product guarantee on all orders. Head over to Greater Pacific to learn more and tell them the industry insider sent you. Meg, Stephen, Michael, uh, it was awesome seeing you guys again. And uh, until next time, guys, take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Promo Corner's Industry Insider. For more great content from industry thought leaders, including podcasts, blogs, and videos, visit promocorner.com.